For far too long, injury lawyers have cared way too much about money and boosting their egos, and not enough about the people they serve. That stops now. Welcome to the Mutrux Firm Injury Lawyers Podcast, where trial lawyer Tyson Mutrux cuts through the BS and gives you practical takeaways to get you back on your feet, settle your case, and get on with your life. No fluff, no ego. And now, here's your host, Tyson Mutrux. Welcome back to the Mutrix Firm Injury Lawyers Podcast. My name is Tyson Mutrix. I'm your host, and I'm the owner of Mutrix Firm Injury Lawyers. And today, I'm going to talk about jury selection. And I'm going to go in a little bit more detail. I'm not going to go too far into the weeds because I don't think it's necessary. I'm going to give you the information I think you want to know. Um, And if you have any other questions, feel free to give me a call or shoot me an email, and I'll be happy to address those with you. But um, the first thing is, is who's going to be in the room during jury selection? Now, what you want to know is that everyone can be in the room. Uh, the, the, what I mean by that is the, the, it's open to the public. Okay. Now, with jury selection, it's a little bit weird because sometimes not everybody can be in the courtroom. I've been in some pretty high-profile cases where just not, not everybody fit because you got to have the jury panel in the room and you got to ask them questions. And sometimes there's just not enough room for everybody. For the bigger courtrooms, that's usually not a problem. There are sometimes very small courtrooms that we have to try these cases in, sometimes with only three benches. And so um, it's usually three benches on both sides, but still, that's not a very big courtroom. With a with a three, what I'll call a three-bench courtroom, that's pretty much filled up by, by the jury panel. All right, so um, it is open to the public, but you usually don't see many other people there during jur- jury selection because, frankly... A lot of people find it boring. I find it fascinating. I love jury selection. It's one of my favorite parts of the case just because you get to see all these different people and see their facial expressions and see how they react to some questions. It really is an interesting process, but I understand that most people find that very boring. So um, just just know you might find it very boring too, but it, it's your case. It's about you. So hopefully you'll 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 be a part of it. Um, that's the next part of it. I, I guess I'm not finished talking about who's in the room. Um, you're in the room, the defendant's going to be in the room. Um, usually they don't have to be, I guess, but, um, they, they are usually in the room. Defense counsel is going to be in the room. I'll be in the room. Uh, and the judge will be in the room, court reporter and the bailiff and the court clerk. That's pretty much all of the people that will be in the room. Um, it's not, this is not rocket science. All right. Those are the people that are going to be in the room. All right. What should you wear? Same thing that you're going to wear to trial. All right. You're going to dress the exact same way, which we talk about in another podcast, but um, because jury selection will happen. And then immediately after that, the trial will happen. We'll go, we go straight into opening statements. Typically, sometimes the judge will, will kick opening statements to the next day, which sometimes actually I prefer that. I actually prefer to go in opening statements because you get, you sort of start fresh. Um, and it's, it's sort of a, sometimes weird, uh, it's not uncommon for you to try to do jury selection and you're asking all these questions of the jury. And then as soon as we jury, pick the jury panel, we go straight in opening statements without a break. It's kind of a weird process. And, and I think it's awkward for the jury too. So I actually usually prefer that we go into the next day, starting with opening statements fresh. That way everybody's fresh and you're not exhausted from, from answering questions and asking questions. 
All right, so here, here is what the process is of jury selection. Let's talk about that for a second. What happens is jur the, they, the bailiff will number or the, the downstairs in the, in, in the courthouse will typically number the jurors. And sometimes they're weird numbers like in the city of St. Louis where it's some random number like juror 543826 or in St. Louis County, in most counties, you're juror one, two, three, four, five. Those are usually the easier ones to deal with because they're typically holding paddles that have their juror number on them. And when you're like in a place like the city of St. Louis, you don't have that number. And if you do have a number, like some judges do, the, the, the many people recommend the paddles because the pad, they hold these paddles up whenever they have a question. And so you can say, you know, juror number five looks like you have a question. That's easy. When you don't have those, or if you do have it, but the juror number is different than the paddle number, it just gets confusing for the for the court clerk. Um, but just know, you'll see that they've, they've been numbered. The bailiff will walk them into the courtroom and make sure that they're in a specific order. When that happens, you will stand up. I will stand up. We will all stand up except for the judge. The judge will stay, remain seated. And that's just to pay respect to the jury panel so they understand, hey, this is about you. This is a very, very important um, thing that you're, that you're doing. And we want to acknowledge that. So you'll stand up every time. I always instruct my clients to stand up whenever they enter the courtroom and whenever they leave the courtroom. And that's throughout the entire trial. So make sure you do that just to show respect. And it makes you look good whenever the defend defendant and defense counsel doesn't do it. All right. So make sure you do that. After they've been walked in the courtroom and they've been seated and numbered, the judge will welcome them. You know, thank you for being here. This is really, really important. The judge will say a, a lot of nice things about them. And, and sometimes they'll give them a brief explanation of what the case is about. Sometimes the judge will let us do that. Not always. Uh, we call that a mini opening. Um, and it will, you know, in a few paragraphs, we'll explain to the jury in an unbiased way as possible uh, what the case is about. And sometimes we will prepare that for the judge and give it to the judge. And I say unbiased, it really does. I mean, we try to, you know, manipulate the words as much as best as possible to try to try to make it as favorable for you as possible. But remember, defense counsel gets a say so as well. So that's why it's usually pretty pretty vanilla what what the what the explanation of the case is about and for example let's say this is a rear end crash um in you know skinker and lindell um i think those roads intersect pretty sure they do uh, but let's say well, even if they don't let's say that they do uh actually it does they intersect right there in um right there by washu but anyways so let's say that the crash is there it's a rear end crash basically the judge will say um the plaintiff was driving westbound on Lindell when he was rear-ended by, oh, well, and the plaintiff alleges that he was rear-ended by the defendant. And, and, and now the plaintiff is claiming injuries. That's a very, very vanilla way of explaining what happened. And so um, that we will try to make that as, as good, of, good for you as possible. Whenever we get to do it, then we can we can sort of you know finesse it a little bit more and make it sound much better. Whenever the judge does it, it's not going to be as good. Not 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 good for either party because it's very very just plain plain plain. All right. So after that's that happens, the judge will read some instructions to the jury. These instructions are things that we have, the parties and the judge have gone over in an instructions conference, and we will 
they're very, it's just explaining the law to the jury is all it is. And if you want to see a copy of those, I'll be happy to show you what those look like. Um, they take about 10 to 15 minutes to read, depending on the judge and how fast they read. After that happens, it's time to go. All right, time to time to rock and roll. So we stand up. Um, I will introduce myself. I will introduce you to the jury and to the judge. Uh, I will say nice things about you. I'll usually walk over to you, place my hand on your shoulder. Um, and just to show, hey, this isn't just a name on a piece of paper. This is an actual human being. I will ask a bunch of questions of the jury. And although it's called jury selection, and I've, I talked about this on a previous podcast, Vordire, it's also called that, or Vordier, depending on you know where you're from. I don't like to call it that just because people don't know what that they don't know what that means. So I call it jury selection. And even though it's called jury selection, that's not really what it is. Um, we're we're trying to exclude people with a bias. That's the goal. And we're trying to get the best, the the least biased people on the jury that are most favorable to you. And we call that killing the rats. All right. And that what that means is, is that there are a lot of rats on the jury that are do not benefit you in any way. Okay. They there are some that hate plaintiff's lawyers. They think that we're ambulance chasers. They don't, they're very closed-minded. All right. They there are people that don't like plaintiffs because they think that you're just money grubbers. It's very unfair, but there are those people. And we call those people rats. And so we, 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 we try to kill the rats. So we, we try to hone in on those people and all of our questions. And I'm not going to go all, go over all of the topics that we're going to cover. I'm just not going to, um, you don't care about that. At least I don't think you do. If you do care about that, give me a call and I'll be happy to share an outline with you. But we are, our, our whole goal is to try to kill those rats and get them off the jury. And we do that through a series of questions and we call that pushing them off the cliff. And so let's say that we've asked a series of questions and they've indicated some bias. And so I'll, you know, I'll call a Mrs. Jones. Let's say Mrs. Jones has some sort of bias based upon her response to a question. Um, I will then ask her a series of questions that pushes her off the cliff, pushes her, pushes her off the ledge. And that what that means is that we're trying to get her for cause. We have, we have a certain number of, we have an unlimited number of cause strikes. We have a limited number of peremptory strikes. So a cause strike is that a strike that they they're being stricken for a legal reason for cause because they would be they they've brought some sort of bias to the case that would impact one of the parties. And so what we do is we try to to pull that bias out as much as we can. And sometimes it's 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 kind of a bizarre thing whenever this does uh, whenever the judge does something like this. But but sometimes the judge will strike the juror for cause in the middle of jury selection and just tell them to go home. It is the weirdest thing whenever it happens. It's a bad idea, in my opinion, because for a variety of reasons. The, the main reason is, is that it signals to other jurors, hey, if I if I show this bias and or if I if I tell a fib, um, then I can get kicked off the jury. Uh, sometimes it's beneficial, sometimes it's not, because sometimes it just it it gets people, you know, talking more, but sometimes it just it just creates chaos. And it's hard for us because we've got a diagram that we're looking at with all of our jurors and, our, and their juror numbers. And whenever people are just disappearing left and right, then it's it's hard for our, our diagram sort of goes into chaos as well. But we've got our ways of dealing with that. So, uh, but sometimes that's what happens. Other times, mo I'd say 99% of the time, judges have us do it after the defendant is done, defense counsel is done during the jury selection. So we'll go through all these questions. We'll work on killing the rats. 
And during this process, we'll be getting some feedback from you. Um, so you'll be sp speaking to either my paralegal or someone else that's that's helping second chair, and you'll be relaying information to them, which will then can then relay information to to me um, about that. A lot of times, what you'll do is you're going to convey information to someone else other than me, and then they'll pass it on to me. The reason for that is I'm I'm listening the entire time, and I'm I'm, I'm trying to make moves uh, moves and maneuvers. And sometimes I need to object to things. And if I'm listening to a question, that's a good opportunity. Then good opportunity. And I actually, let me clarify. If I'm asking, I'm listening to a question from you or a comment from you, that's a good opportunity for defense counsel to sneak in a, a sneaky question, and and I miss the objection. So our way around that is creating a filter. And and so we have someone else there, second chairing, helping me out with the case. And you'll pass that information along to them so they can filter it out and then get it to me if it, if it truly is a crucial thing. Because sometimes it's something that they can address for you. And that's why they're there. They're there to help you out and help me out as well. So um, we'll be, I'll ask all these questions. We'll get done and I'll try to make you sound as great as possible. That's part of my job. And, and, and get as many of those rats off the jury as possible. Once I am done, it will be defense counsel's opportunity to, to stand up and ask questions. And they're doing the exact same thing that we're doing, only they're trying to make it favorable to their client. They're doing the exact same thing. And throughout this, there will be objections. Uh, and sometimes what will happen is the judge will bring us up to the bench, not you, just the attorneys, uh, bring us up to the bench. They'll turn on this, this static sound. You'll, you'll hear it. It sounds like um, one of those old TVs that you turn on and the, the channel's blank. Uh, it, it just has that really staticky sound. And so you, it, the reason why that is, is so that the jurors cannot hear what we're saying, because sometimes we're arguing law. Sometimes we're discussing them. Sometimes we're discussing whether or not they can hear certain information. And that's, that's what we're discussing. And the judge does not want them to hear it. Sometimes if it's a sensitive topic that a juror does not want to talk about, uh, and we always give them that opportunity. You know, we're going to ask you these questions. And if it's something that you don't feel comfortable talking about in front of everyone, you can come up to the bench and, uh, and talk to us without anyone else, wanting anyone else, anyone else hearing easy for me to say. And so we'll bring them up and we'll, we'll have an opportunity to ask them questions just like we were out in the open, but we're going to be doing it directly to them. Uh, so they have an opportunity to answer those questions. Once we're done with that, we will have a discussion with you. Most judges give us a few minutes to discuss the case with you and then do our peremptory or our cause strikes and then our peremptory strikes. Sometimes though, um, this is where it's why it's important that to constantly be, constantly be getting feedback from you about if you know any of their any of the jurors, if you saw any, you know, saw them give us any dirty looks, if any of them are mean mugging you, you we want to know that information because some judges, especially particularly some of the older judges, they go straight into cause strikes. And it that's why you got to be ready. You got to be prepared the entire time and organized and let us know immediately um, what what strikes you you recommend. Um, I may disagree with you. Um, and I and I will overrule you if I do disagree with you. Um, but we that's that's very, very rare. I'm sort of joking there too. Uh, but we we will have those discussions if we're given the opportunity. And then we'll 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 jump straight into call strikes. Even if it's after a break, we'll have that discussion. We'll jump into cause strikes. And those are ones where there's some legal cause or some bias that they've shown. And we'll get up. We'll, we'll, the judge will say, 
plaintiff's counsel, do you have any cause strikes? We'll say yes, A, B, C, D, and E. Uh, and we'll go one by one and the defense counsel will have an opportunity. The judge will say, defense counsel, do you have any objections to this cause strike? Yes or no. And if they do have an objection, then we'll argue about it as to why um, we, we think it's a cause strike. Sometimes the judge will just say, say automatically, yeah, I agree that there's no chance, even if it won't even give the defense counsel an opportunity to respond. Uh, and then once we've gone through our cause strikes, defense counsel will do the same thing. And we'll have an opportunity to object as well, uh, and the, the judge will make that ultimate decision. Once we've done that, then we'll take another break, and then we'll do what are called peremptory strikes. And that's our three strikes for any reason other than um, race, gender, religion, things like that. And so uh, we will we'll sit down and we'll talk to you. Okay, here are the cause strikes. Here are the people that are left. And we'll, the way it works, it's sort of like a funnel. So the, the people that are closest to the jury box are closest to the end of the funnel. So those, those are the most likely people to be on the jury. The people that are in the back of the courtroom, remember how I said they're numbered? The ones with the highest numbers are least likely to be picked. Just, that's just because we go in order of the funnel. So it's kind of like this funnel. And so we'll say to you, look, look you know, jurors, you know, one, five, 8, 10, 12, we're stricken for cause. So what are these other jurors do you not like? You know, so then you got, you know, two, three, I can't remember what numbers I just told you, but all the other numbers that are still available. Okay. Which of these are not good for us? Which ones do we need to kick off of the, of the jury panel and defense counsel is doing the same thing. And so sometimes we'll agree. And so sometimes we will strike someone uh, that they would have already stricken. So they basically get a bonus. It's, it's, it's just how it works sometimes. So we'll go through, we'll, we'll tell the judge, you know, this is who we want, this is who we want, this is who we want, we want to kick them off. And then the defense counsel will have an opportunity to do the same thing. And then there's there will be alternates that we also have to kick some of the alternates off as well. But there, there will be a jury of 12, but then an additional one or two people that sit in as alternates. And you may be thinking, well, why is that even necessary? Trust me. I've been on several juries where I've had several juries where we needed to bring in the alternate. Uh, it, people either get sick. Um, they, they sleep in, uh, they just, something else happens where they just disappear. Uh, we've had people faint in the middle of a trial. Uh, we've had people have a, come up with a, a conflict in the middle of a trial. Those things happen. And so we have to have a, a backup just in case. All right. Uh, one last thing, and those are, these are called Batson challenges. So let's say that one of the parties thinks that the other party struck someone um, with a peremptory strike because of race, religion, gender, things like that. Then uh, you can do a Batson challenge. And then we have to demonstrate the reason why we chose them other than race, religion, um, gender, things like that. Okay. So, um, that's very, very, very rare, but it does come up and it typically comes up, uh, because of race whenever it does come up. But again, it's, it's extremely rare. So, all right, this is a little bit of a longer episode. I understand that. So forgive me for that. Uh, if you have any other questions, give us a call 888-550-4026, or you can check us out at mutrixfirm.com. Also check out our YouTube channel, Mutrix Firm Injury Lawyers, and our, give us a like on our Facebook page because we do talk about a lot of great information every single day. We post every single day on there. And so give us some love and give us a like. Make it a great day out there. We'll see you. 
Thank you for listening to the Mutrux Firm Injury Lawyers Podcast, a production of Mutrux Firm, LLC. We offer a free 30-minute strategy session to discuss your personal injury case. You can ask us anything free of charge. Call 888-550-4026 to schedule your call or use the link in the show notes. If you're trying to handle your personal injury case on your own and running into issues with the insurance adjuster or not getting the treatment you need, try these three things. One, don't give a recorded statement. Two, ask your doctors to do your treatment on a lien. And three, don't negotiate with the adjuster prior to getting all of the treatment you need. Check out our YouTube channel for more helpful tips, where we have hundreds of how-to and explainer videos, or go to TysonMutrucks.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.